Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. My full legal name is Clifford Lee Purcell. And um, I mention that for, for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that that name got me ridiculed a lot as a kid, Clifford. See, um, the, the, the Clifford the Big Red Dog books became very popular about the time that I hit kindergarten. And little kids, if they find uh, some way to pick on you relative to your name, uh, then they will do that. Um, my middle name is Lee, like about mm, probably one-third to 40% of the boys born in any parts of the rural American South, and you can probably figure out why they were named Lee. It was uh, in respect to uh, a general who led the Confederacy. And so these days, that's not a very popular middle name to have either. Uh, my, my dad, my mom wanted to name me Bruce, okay? My mom wanted to name me Bruce, but my dad decided that my name should be Clifford because his name was Carl Clifford Purcell, and he went by Cliff, and his grandfather was Alonzo Clifford Purcell, and I guess I'm glad I got the Clifford and not the Alonzo. Um, but I also decided that uh, after the, all the Clifford the Big Red Dog uh, things that followed me literally all the way through high school, that uh, probably the... Clifford in our name should come to a screeching halt, and uh, it has at least for this generation. I think, however, Bruce would have been a really good first name for me because had my name been Bruce, instead of people making fun of me as Clifford the Big Red Dog, they'd have been calling me Bruce Lee. Yeah, baby. And uh, I don't care who you are. If you're a teenage boy growing up in the 70s and 80s and people called you Bruce Lee... They said it with respect, okay? There's, oh, this could only improve your social standing if you had been Bruce Lee. That's really poorly done Photoshop. I just want it. But Bruce, man, he's got the word, right? Yeah. Yeah, the scars are real. That's right. Um, no, but, but I, got, I got stuck with, with Clifford. I've always been, however, a, a glass is half full kind of guy, so I just decided that, um, that I should probably roll with it. And instead of moping about my name being Clifford, I should give thanks that at least my parents did not name me Bezalel or Aholiab. Okay? I'm sure none of you have named any of your children that. Uh, these days, when folks are just you know, stringing sounds together and calling them names, we might end up with some more Bezaleels and Aholiabs. But I'm thankful that my parents did not name me Bezaleel and Aholiab, though they are incredible people, and we're going to learn a little bit about their story later on today. Um, we're studying, however, the Holy Spirit. This fall, we're just going to spend all of our Sundays working our way through the scriptures, trying to come to understand who this person is that's mentioned in the Bible as the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned right alongside God the Father as being eternally existent with him and with Jesus Christ. He's mentioned not as some sort of generic um, life force, but instead as an actual person who has personality and a name, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But short of knowing those things, most of us don't know much about him because we identify with Jesus, the Son, a God with skin on, or, or have deeply loved, longed for a Father's love. And so we get God the Father, we get, we get God the Son, we don't understand 
the Holy Spirit much. And so in the first week, two weeks ago, we kind of took a look at who this Holy Spirit is from the very beginning. And the scriptures tell us in in just the very first page that the Spirit of God was brooding over this sort of lifeless, shapeless, chaotic mess that God first created as the world. And like a hen brooding over eggs, trying to bring life and purpose out of it, God the Holy Spirit was doing that with the world and over the course of the, the, the rest of the days of creation, they took meaningful, purposeful shape and real life came about. See, the Holy Spirit brings chaos and life out of the formless void and it doesn't bring chaos, it brings order and life out of, the, out of the chaos and the void in your life. He did it for the, for the created world, that tohu vabohu. And he'll do it for you. If you'll invite him into your life, if you'll listen for his voice, and if you will then submit to his ways. Last week, we took a look at the second time that the Holy Spirit shows up, and and he showed up for the second time. Also in the first book, in Genesis, he showed up uh, in the life of a man named Joseph. Joseph was a guy who had this, this weird mixture of a of a, a silver spoon in his mouth, it seems, at birth, like he was destined for greatness. But every time he turned around, life dealt him these crushing kind of blows so that he went into deep, dark pit after deep, dark pit after deep, dark pit. But the good news of the story is that every time that Joseph ended up deep in the hole, God went there with him and had his hand upon him. The story goes on to, to tell us that that Joseph was God's chosen instrument for saving the whole Mediterranean world from a seven-year famine that actually threatened to destroy, to starve to death, that whole region of the world. And he did it by, by Joseph interacting with the the most powerful man in the world at the time, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and because he was able to speak intelligently into the situation, because he had discernment, that is, spiritual insight, and he also had wisdom, that is, the the strategic ability to know what to do next and what not to do next, Pharaoh took one look at him, listened to him for a couple of minutes, and said, there's the guy that we need to hire for the job because in him is the Spirit of God. And what was it that he saw in Joseph that, that, that convinced him that the Spirit of the living God, the God of all gods, resided in that man? It was spiritual understanding, and it was wisdom, knowing what to do next, insight, and practical abilities to live life well. God did that for Joseph, and he'll do it for you. If you invite him in, if you listen for his voice, and then submit yourself to his ways. Today, we're going to look at the third time that the Spirit of God shows up in the scriptures, and we're going to do our very best not to just learn some factoid about him, to learn something about his heart, about his very character, that will draw us to him deeper into relationship with him. 
The, the story that we're going to read today is kind of a continuation of Joseph's story. Joseph's family had, had multiplied for about 400 years and become very, very populous. And as a result, his family fell out of disfavor with the succeeding pharaohs in Egypt. They worried about Joseph's family taking over. So instead, they subjugated them and they became the slave class. Joseph's family did. Became the slave class in all of Egypt. But God sent a leader to those people, someone who would deliver them from their bondage in slavery, which needs to be celebrated. His name was Moses. Moses came and and God worked right alongside him and spoke to him like a man speaks face to face. And some incredible things happened. And and all of a sudden, somewhere between 600,000 and maybe as many as 2 million Jews were freed from the bonds of slavery and exited the land of Egypt, but they'd never been a nation before. And so they were just these family groups or tribes that were kind of sort of trying to hang on to one another as they wandered around like like transient Bedouin people. And at the same time, they were stiff-arming one another, trying to keep enough distance because I'm not so sure about you and and who's going to grab for power. And, And so God began to form them into a nation. And he did this in some really important and incredible ways. First, he gave them civil laws so that they could govern themselves. Then he gave them religious laws so that they would know how to live in a healthy, holy relationship with him. He gave them some food laws so that they wouldn't poison their bodies and and find find themselves broken down because of, of poor health. He also gave them moral laws so they'd know how to live toward one another in ways that kept them from destroying their own society and seeing it collapse upon themselves. Oh, by the way, that was preached to people um, thousands of years ago. It really wasn't about America today. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Hmm. Well, this this nation that's that's forming with these sets of laws that are kind of a how-to-do life, not, not, not God becoming the slave owner. Now you have to do what I tell you to do. But God's saying, let me make a way for you to begin to live as a people together. Part of those, those religious guidelines, he said, you know, I think because people lose sight of God, I think we need to make an incredibly beautiful worship space, an environment in which if people just step into it, something changes in the way that that they think and feel about their world and, and the, 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 the beauty of the place will draw their attention very naturally upward to where they give their attention to me. And that's where we're going to take up the story today. It's Exodus chapter 31. I invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 31. If you look at my Bible, you can see I'm very near the beginning. If you don't know where Exodus is, it's just the, the second book in the Bible. Exodus 31. Lord, every time we turn our attention to the scriptures, we ask you to do the same. Not because you've got something to learn, but because you've got something to teach us. And we don't want to just come in here mining for truth on our own. We want you to teach us. We want you to show us what we've never seen before. We want you to entrust to us the truths that somehow have escaped our notice before. Turn on the lights for us. We'll be watching and listening. Amen. 
Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to me, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I've appointed Oholiab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I've given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I've commanded you. And here's the list. Tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony with the atonement cover on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, I am glad that my mother and father did not name me Bezalel or Oholiab, but I got to tell you, I'm a little jealous of their skill set. What? What an incredible description, isn't it? I mean, I got, I got stuck with, with Clifford and uh, the ability to make crooked cuts in my shop. That's what I got out of this deal. But Bezalel and uh, or Bezalel... If I say it wrong, you don't care, right? So Bezalel and Aholiab, uh, these guys, while they had awkward names that probably made junior high very difficult for them, these guys had absolutely mad skills, incredible abilities. Bezalel in particular seemed to be the guy who had the greatest compilation of, of gifts at such a level that he was referred to as a master of several things, a master goldsmith, a master silversmith, a master bronze smith. He was a master woodworker, seems to have been a, either a master mason of setting stones in place. The, the, the phrase says cutting and setting stones. Of course, building brick buildings when you're traveling a lot doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's probably the case that he was one who could cut and set gemstones. He was a jeweler alongside being a masterful carver. It seems like every single thing that Bezalel put his hand to, it just, with a little bit of work and attention from him, it turned into a masterful display of beauty. Right alongside him was this character named Aholiab. And Aholiab seems to have also been given incredible gifts, but it was very clear that God was saying, Bezalel is the master of all of these things, and I'm, I'm going to appoint him over the rest of you, and you, you, Bezalel, will have an assistant, Aholiab, because he's pretty good at what he does. And these two guys were, were given this incredible task of overseeing two things. One, a large group of students who would come under them and listen and learn and let their hands be guided and their feet be guided so that they could, along with these two master craftsmen, begin to make things that were of surpassing beauty. That's the the second thing that Bezalel and Aholiab were supposed to do. Remember, they're supposed to make things beautiful, but in the passage, God said, I don't want them to do it on their own. So they were tasked with with this community-wide effort, those two guys leading this community-wide effort, 
And what was the community-wide effort? It was to make an atmosphere, to make an environment that was so saturated with beauty, things like people didn't see in all of the rest of the world that anyone who stepped foot into it and laid eyes on it would suddenly realize there's something transcendent and beyond. And their attention and their affection would be drawn upward to the God of beauty. So get a handle on that. This was, this was the, the whole community's responsibility There was this purpose behind Israel that they were to have this this ongoing goal, which was to create an environment so beautiful, so incredibly attractive, that anyone who stepped stepped foot into it or anyone who came alongside it and could see the way that they were living would be drawn toward the God that they loved and served. Bezalel and Aholiab were tasked with making a physical structure that would be the the, the perfect symbol of that, and also with training lots of other people. If you go on to Exodus chapter 35, we just read from chapter 31, if you go over to chapter 35, God kind of repeats this whole thing of, I've chosen Bezalel, I've chosen Aholiab, and alongside all these other abilities, he also said in chapter 35 that he gave them specifically, those two, the ability to teach these things to others. And so these two guys set about building this incredible environment, this incredible structure that epitomized all that was supposed to be happening in the larger Israeli culture. But before they did it, they had to create this, 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 this guild or this academy in which people would be trained to make a contribution that produces beauty that draws people's attention to God. Fortunately, we're, we, as we read in the, in the chapter 31 passage, we find that, that this same thing that Joseph had, this spiritual insight called discernment, and the wisdom, that is, knowing what to do next and what not to do next, that very same thing was given to Bezalel. And so he knew that what he had to do before he could start building the magnificent structure was that he would have to take the raw materials of human beings and start shaping them into skilled craftsmen. I went to a handful of schools in my life. There's something deep in my heart that wishes I could have gone to that academy, sit under those kind of masterful people. These hands of mine have always wanted to make beautiful things. And... My opinion is they make okay things. But there's something in me that looks at, at the way that, that Doug builds things, and I see something masterful there. I see the way that Glenn and Jesse paint. I think, oh, my hands want to do that. I hear the way the rest of the musicians in this worship team play. And... I wish I could do what Kyle does standing back there. One of these days, Trevor, I'm going to take drum lessons because I want to learn how to do it. I'll never be able to play the piano. I'm talking about just drumming. Okay. 
Oh, how I wish I could have been a part of that school where, where there was this, this group of people, this community in which some who were older and more mature and more accomplished turned and looked at those who were gathered around them and together said, I can show you how to do this, but you don't get to do it for your own entertainment and you don't get to do it um, for just the, the sake of making money. And it won't be even art just for the sake of art. All of this is to be enlisted in this task of making sure that the people of this earth who go throughout the drudgery of day-to-day living much of the time, living in poverty, living estranged from one another, occasionally they will come across a place and a people that are, are, are such an expression of integrated beauty that they say, hmm, I want what this what those people have. And I want to be a part of those people so that I can get some of it. I wish I could have gone to school with Bezalel and Aholiab. These incredible abilities that these guys had. I hope you saw it in the passage. I'm going to point it out right now. They had a source and they had a purpose. The purpose was point people to God. But the source of their abilities wasn't random chance. It wasn't genetics. Oh, I was born into a family that's kind of musical, or I was born into a family that's that's kind of artistic. Instead, Bezalel and Aholiab, we read in both chapter 31 and chapter 35, their gifts and abilities had a very um, noticeable and different source than just, you know, average ability or natural selection. In this passage, just for the third time in the Bible, the Spirit of God is mentioned, and he is given specifically to Bezalel and to Oholiab so that they could have this masterful ability to create beauty, and so that they could teach others. And then the passage said that these same things would be given to as many as came underneath the wings of these two men. The reason this story shows up as so extraordinary in the beginning chapters of the Bible is that the Spirit of God didn't show up often or much. When he did, he showed up in a single human being or by himself at creation as himself. But here, in just the third time that he makes an appearance in Scripture, we have this notion, this incredible idea that the Spirit of God will now be given to more than one person. That that his influence and availability would become widespread, not among the entire people of Israel, but among this guild. A promise of things that were to come. Several weeks from now, we'll make our way into the New Testament. We'll get to Acts chapter 2, where an incredible thing happens, where God announces, from here forward, the Holy Spirit will be made available to every single person on the planet. But Bezalel and Aholiab lived a few thousand years prior to that date. They lived mm, 3,500 years ago, 3,100 years ago, let's say. And when the Holy Spirit showed up in their lives and started producing extraordinary ability to make beauty that points people to God. It was an exception to the rule. 
And so somebody said we should make sure that everybody knows the source of this incredible beauty and ability and power. Bezalel and Aholiab will not become famous. You didn't know their names probably before I mentioned them today. This wasn't, hey, let's make an early Michelangelo and and Da Vinci team so that all the world who knows like nothing about art will at least know their two names. Instead, their God will become famous. Their God will be esteemed. Their God will be worshipped. See, we we, we have this word. Whenever a group of people gather together for the purpose of making a beautiful environment that that naturally draws people's attention and affection to God. The the, the word for for constructing that environment is worship. That's what you do when you come to this place on Sundays. Did you know it? You're, You're creating an environment, beautiful, different than anything else we see in the world around us. Beautiful only partly because of of, of music and, and the building itself. Because in the New Testament, we learn this truth, that God doesn't dwell in buildings made by human hands. He dwells in human beings and in the collection of human beings called the church. The church is you and the church is me. And whenever the church is assembled we begin once again the construction of the beauty, the environment of love and joyfulness and pleasantness toward one another, reconciliation and forgiveness that makes the rest of the world go, how come they do that? How can they do that? I've tried. I'm not good at the forgiving and getting over it thing. Hey, listen, stick with this church, this one right here for the rest of your life. Here's why. We will promise to give you opportunities to learn how to forgive one another. If you stick with people long enough, they're going to offend you. They're going to annoy you. They're going to hurt you. I'm annoying some of you right now. The benefit of sticking around with people who have annoyed you long enough to flat out offend you is that you then, filled with God's Holy Spirit, can become a person who contributes forgiveness, tolerance, reconciliation to this great, big, beautiful canvas that we're all painting on together. First time you don't like the sermon, first time you don't like the music, first time you don't like the smell of the person sitting next to you, go somewhere else. You will lose the ability to to be shaped by the Spirit of God to contribute something to the beauty that is the church. See, whenever, whenever God's people come together, we start once again working on the beauty project that's intended to draw people's attention to God. And, and something, is, something happens in the, in, the, in the human heart, in the human spirit, whenever we're together and we begin to do this, this act, these acts of worshiping, that some, some switch gets flipped in the human heart where we begin a dutiful worship. But if we stay in the act long enough, 
sincerely, some, another switch gets flipped, and it's the passion switch where I begin with all of my heart and my enthusiasm to, to help paint the picture of the beauty of God so that other people can see him as one worthy of praise and love and affection and loyalty. As we pay attention to God in those ways, something happens in our relationship with him. We get to know him really well. We get to love him deeper, and we become more influenced by his, by his ways. When that happens, there's an effect once you leave the, the grounds of the church. When you go back into your homes, and you go back into your neighborhoods, or your schools, or your workplace, you go into your marriage, you will find that the passion and the duty together well up within you from time to time. And outside of a worship setting, all of a sudden you start speaking about this this God that you love. And we have a word for that. The word is your testimony. Your testimony and worship are linked because one of them produces the other. So there's a group of people that were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. God told them to do something that seemed rather impractical when you're trying to move a bunch of women and children and, uh, and, and folks whose bodies are failing them and livestock and the rest of your belongings. It was to make a great, big, grandiose tent. with all kinds of precious metals and precious stones. It was ridiculously heavy and had to be set up and taken down every time that they moved camp. Are you kidding me? Why? Because as they looked all around them, what they saw was desert, the signs of death and desolation. And their enemies who lived in that same arena, that's what they saw and that's what they lived in every day. But when they saw the people of God moving among them, some, some, some semblance of life... If they looked really close, they saw that those people would regularly gather around this place that they had made that painted this in, in, in incredible hues and tones and textures, this, this picture of a God who's bigger than all of that and better than all of that and who gives life, who brings life where there were only signs of death. Boy, it seems like it was awfully, you know, mm-mm-mm. Pastor Cliff, kind of religious. Yeah, because he brings order out of chaos as well. But to get this done, God didn't drop a tent out of heaven. He didn't say, well, let's just, I don't know, see what you've got for a tent maker and we'll do the best that we can. Instead, he said, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit. He's going to fill some people. And along with their contribution to the pointing beauty, they'll also have the ability to teach others who I will also fill with my spirit. It was a very early Pentecost. Bezalel and Aholiab got really rough names, but they also got to be filled with the spirit of God. When they were filled with the Spirit of God, they were filled with the ability to contribute something 
that started pointing people toward the God who wants to give them life. He did it for Bezalel and Aholiab. And he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. See, church is not a place primarily to come and get something. I mean, we're, we're glad to be able to offer some things that, that enrich families and marriages. I hope, I hope that you'll be a part um, of the, the uh, parenting conference that was talked about this morning. I hope that, that you'll come to the, the mix, even if you're, you don't currently have a ministry assignment within the church. I hope you'll, you'll come and, and maybe take a class or two in an area where you might be considering making your contribution There's lots of places, lots of ways within this fellowship that you can come together with the rest of us and work together to create something beautiful and surpassing and beyond that doesn't look like it was cobbled together by the merely willing. It's also the case that some of you need to be working out there, creating beauty out there in in outpost kind of temples. For, for the people who will never come and see what happens when we gather in this place and when we gather and, and love on one another and on the Lord. The, um, there's another um, slide, Rich. Maybe go one backward. Maybe go backward one more. You're missing one. That is a crying shame because it was the best one. Really, it's a crying shame because it was the best one. Here's the thing. I went and saw an artist this week who works in our community. He actually runs um, Black Matter Tattoo downtown. His name's Kevin Stroud. Kevin worships with us regularly. And I, man, what a, I messed up. I, because Kevin created something beautiful for us. Facebook, bye-bye, because I'm going to send this t- to... All right, Andy, I'm going to test your skills up there. I'm going to email you Kevin's work, okay? See what you can do with it. The rest of you amuse yourselves while I'm... uh... I mean, I'd just show you here, but, you know, it's kind of small. Some music? Anybody want to hum a little tune right now? No jokes, please. Oh, man. Come on, Cliff. See, I wish that God, the Holy Spirit, gave people technical abilities because I could use a little bit right now. Okay. I'm, I'm almost there, Andy. I promise. All right. You didn't come to church to watch a pastor play with his phone, but you're gonna. (laughs) You've got time right now, as a matter of fact. All right, Andy, it's on. Oh, empty subject line. Yes, Andy knows the subject. All right, it's coming. Okay. Here's the thing. I went and saw Kevin this week. 
Kevin is a guy who makes extraordinarily beautiful things. And I, and I told him the story of Bezalel and Holiab, and he got it that quick. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's at work in Kevin's life. And, and he's given him this mind that can imagine beauty that I can't, yeah. And he's given him the hands that somehow translate the imagination into reality. And listen, God the Holy Spirit is available to every man, woman, teen, and child who wants him. You see, what he did for Bezalel and Aholiab, he will do for you, and it's not limited to arts and crafts. He'll, he'll find something in you that seems to make you come alive the way, the way that he made you with your particular uh, character and personality, and he will breathe the Spirit of God into that, and it will take on a depth and richness and dimension that it did not have in the flesh alone. But he's not doing this for your entertainment, and he's not doing it for the sake of art in and of itself. And he's doing it because he wants you to be a part of a community of people who accept upon themselves collectively the burden and the blessing of living in such ways that every day of our lives, punctuated weekly, we will be earnestly creating an environment in which God looks as good as he really is. I, you know, I could have done the quick and dirty here, and I thought about it, which was making cards that you could fill out and say, here's how I'll help. And, and, and instead, I just decided, instead of this being a ministry recruitment Sunday, that I, too, would have to learn to rely on God's Holy Spirit to speak to you where you live today with your collection of abilities the ones that God has breathed into you, and to trust you to bring them to bear on the kingdom in the interest of attracting other people to a very lovely God. So that's what I'm going to do. You're not signing up for anything today. The the appropriate response to to the sermon today is to listen for the voice of God, to invite him in, and then to submit to his ways in your life. I trust that if you'll go that far with him, he will lead you to help us to show him to this community with a depth and a richness and a variety of textures that are irresistible to the hearts and spirits of our neighbors who do not yet know him. Do you want that? I want that for us. I want it a lot. So I ask you, please, to invite God's Holy Spirit to do that in you. Stand with me. Look, as I bow and and wrap up this morning, I want to ask you especially, Lord, to speak to those who say, I don't have any of those abilities because I think they're just on the verge of getting the point. You're about to do something transformative in them. Lord, I'm sure that the the, the picture that we all paint from time to time doesn't look very beautiful. 
Maybe it's like some of the art that we sort of hang on the fridge from time to time. Beautiful in our eyes, beautiful in yours, but I know that when your Holy Spirit comes in his power, that what we can make can be truly beautiful. And we invite you together today to work in us individually and us collectively as First Naz to be the setting in which your beauty is displayed. May it be so, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, court the Spirit of God, so then may you know his power and his peace. Amen. My eyes just can't see.